Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Barger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me as per usual is my co-host and associate editor, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Um, this has been a week of a lot of technical difficulties, so apologies in advance if anything about this episode sounds wonky. I'm yeah. pretty stoked to be recording it at all myself. So, I mean, there was a moment where we thought Annie might have to host the show on her own for the first time. So, it was scary. I mean, you get what you get, I guess. <laughs> you get what you get and you don't get upset. Between my laptop crapping out and your mic deciding to misbehave, it has been a week. Womp. So, what are we talking about today? I mean, let's just keep the fun train rolling by talking about some white power fascists in 1960s England. Good times. Yeah. Good times. That's why we bring Janet on this show so she can talk about this with us. Um, because she's also recapping this program, which is called Ridley Road. Yes, but I was only 10 at the time. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because this is a really um, the neo the rise of neo-Nazism in the UK and this sort of nationalist movement of the late 1960s, early 1970s is sort of one of those things that kind of gets swept under the rug of history. Like we oh, all yeah. talk about like World War Two and then we sort of skip ahead and we to the wall falling down and then we sort of skip all of this sort of thing. Like you get Margaret Thatcher and you get Ronald Reagan and you get some nuke scares, but that's about it. Um, and, you know, it's funny because uh, both Call the Midwife and Endeavor have basically sort of reached this point in their stories. And like Endeavor actually did attempt to sort of do an episode that sort of brought up, you know, the neo-Nazi movement, the the, the National Socialist movement of the, the 1960s in 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 one of the mysteries. But, you know. Other than that, like, I don't I don't think Call the Midwife really talks about this at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just I'll be the I'll be the the ignorant American who just straight up says I knew nothing about any of this. Well, I didn't either. So it's not just ignorant Americans, because when you think of Nazis in England, you think of Mosley in the 1930s. Mm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for teaching yes. me about that. Peaky Blinders. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and the astonishing thing about this was that it took place 17 years after World War II ended and everybody who was an adult, their lives have been changed by that. And so he, and here's this, this horrible leader who is, who is using the Hitler playbook essentially. And, and it is absolutely shocking. I mean, how does this happen? I think um, Jack at one point makes a very good point um, oh, I said point twice. Sorry about that. Said three times. That um, it's not just the neo-fascists marching around in their boots and their uniforms and their blue shirts and everything. It's ordinary people, ordinary people looking for someone to blame, and that is really the scariest thing about it. I think. I mean, I feel like I've been saying this phrase a lot lately, and I, I I, may have picked it up from a Joe Biden speech. And if that is true, I'm sorry. But it's something about like history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. And I just feel like 
I don't know. There's something about this. Show. I, the thing is, is that I thought I thought this premiere was really strong. Mm-hmm. I think the the show itself is is an interesting concept that you certainly don't see that much. But I feel I'm just like I'm watching it. I'm just like this feels too like uncomfortably timely. I yes, guess. it's hitting too close. It's just like to it's home. exhausting. I am exhausting. Yes. I am exhausted. Well, okay. First of all, let's talk about like the actual plot of Ridley Road. Um, I think that should that that should be the first thing. Um. Basically, this is a story about um, a Jewish girl in Manchester. Her name is Vivian Epstein. And she uh, has fallen in love with uh, this guy, Jack, um, who works for her father. And even though she's in love with him, her her parents are, you know, they're very strict. Uh, they're very strict. They're very conservative Jews. They've already, like, arranged a marriage with her. Like, literally, like, they didn't consult her like the boy's father came to her father and the two of them agreed that the two should get married and that was that and you know it it's a very you know she she's basically sort of stuck in this so she tries to basically um her father sends jack away as a way to like you know make it so that she won't um pine after him and so she follows him to london and she discovers that he's actually working undercover in what's called the 62 group um and it's not just him who's working undercover. It's also her uncle um, and her cousins. And basically, like, all of her lo- all of her mother's side of the family that's based in London are all working as part of this underground movement um, to overthrow the fascist, uh, the, the, the rise of fascism. And, you know, her parents don't want her to have anything to do with this. Like, they... Her mother actually says to her, whatever you do, don't go. When she runs away, her mother says, wherever you are, I don't care. Just don't go to London. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of, like, attitude they have about this. Like, that they are very much the kind of Jews who put their head in the sta- sand when it came to these sorts of things. Um, that's also characterized. And they have a they have a, 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 a house guest who stays with them, a cousin who is the only survivor of the camps. And there's actually a scene where... Um, where Vivian's mother, Liza, sits down with her and basically starts apologizing over and over again, saying, I, I had no, I'm not political. I had no idea this was happening. You know, if I'd known, I would have I would have done something. But it's very clear that, you know, she knows perfectly well it's happening again and she's doing nothing. And she doesn't want, you know, her daughter to go anywhere near it. Yeah, she's she's an interesting woman because she she has a lot of denial and um and uh she um, I mean, she actually says to Rosa that, you know, she wanted to wait until they got the wallpaper up in her room. And now she has to live with that guilt. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the family is sort of interesting. Now, I got the impression that um, the, that uh, Vivian uh, was, was dating Jack and then he started disappearing and at that point, she agreed to this arranged marriage with Jeremy, um, who, I mean, is a nice enough boy. He looks like he's about 12 years old, but he's actually <laughs> he's actually very sweet. Um, Rosa, when, when they're sitting at, at Shabbat dinner, suddenly says something like, there's someone upstairs. And this is apparently is something that she does a lot. And Jeremy says, oh, I'll go and check on it and make sure everything's okay, which I thought was a very nice gesture. Um, but of course, his family pretty much own the Epsteins. Um, yeah, they own the house. Yeah. 
And that that is I, I I got the sense that not that she had said yet that she had not agreed to this arranged marriage, but that her father basically didn't have a choice when Jeremy's father said, Your daughter's gonna marry my son. He was basically like, Okay, well you own me, so I guess my daughter's gonna marry your son. And she's basically stuck and screwed and didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so her only way of getting out of it is to basically like run away. She's wanted to run away. She's wanted to get out of this. She knows how to cut hair. She wants to work in a fancy London salon. Um, It's just that the impetus to actually go is when Jack disappears off to London and she has like a reason that, that like makes her actually get up and go. That's more than just, you know, being scared of leaving her family. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, she feels smothered by her family who actually really nice people. I thought um, that dinner scene um, was actually very sweet because they all got on so well and her father was throwing bread rolls to people. And um, and, and, and I, I have to say, I love Will Keen. Uh, oh, isn't that, he the great? Actor. Yeah. yeah um, his daughter is Daphne Keen, the, uh, the, the one who is in uh, X-Men. And, uh, oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, uh, his Dark Materials. Um, so, yeah, I just I, I, I think he's a great actor. Anyway, um, so Lacey, you know, as somebody who isn't Jewish, how is it for you to watch scenes like um, like the the, the Shabbat dinner? Um, um, I feel like I've picked enough of it. I feel like this must be how people feel like watching people going to confession or something that I've picked up enough like from pop culture to kind of have the basic gist of what's going on. But um I mean, they did also, they seemed nice. I thought it was weird that, uh, maybe not weird. I don't, I just, I don't, maybe they just didn't have time to really delve into this because it's only a four episode show, which is by the way, something I support. But um, I do think there's a slight disconnect for me that uh, Vivian did apparently say yes, because she's mm-hmm. like, you know, posing for like engagement portraits or whatever. Oh, with, right. Yes. The massive spread the nice- in the Jewish Chronicle. Well, see, that's the thing. I think it wasn't that she said yes. I think she just didn't have a... To me, that read is she didn't have a choice. So she just went along with it because her dad didn't have a choice. And she sort of knew that her dad didn't have a choice. Not that she'd said yes. But I can see where it could read the... I can see where you could read it the other way, too. I mean, I'm sure sure she said... yeah. If she said yes, she did it because she felt like she didn't have an an avenue not to. Mm -hmm. But... She also didn't pick up and run away that first night either. So, well, she she is very young, and I think possibly she said yes because her family were pressuring her, and yeah, and basically she was angry with Jack. It's like I'll show you. I mean, Jack really seems like a terrible boyfriend. <laughs> I also, I also am just like, uh, maybe you should have picked the nice Jewish boy. <laughs> um, you know, as, as someone who. Uh, at, at her age, I probably would have been like, of course, you follow Jack. And, you know, now I'm in my 40s. I'm like, no, oh, but Jeremy's such a nice boy. Um, because, you know, you just age in your parents when you're not looking. Um, I know. I mean, we all dated a Jack. <laughs> we did. Um, Most I, of us had sense enough not to follow him to a different city. Um, speaking of her following him to the different city, um, I found the the scene where she gets to London and they're like, oh, yeah, he's moved on to the next bit of skirt to be such I mean, you you really do sort of feel for her at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like I really, I was I I was very proud of her that she didn't turn around and go back home mm-hmm. right away. Well, she couldn't because she'd lose face with her family, and um and 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 the family is interesting because something happened 
between Solly and um, his sister Liza. And Liza had to escape to Manchester. Um, and there's one point um, later on where Solly actually um, suggests that it was like an official breakup with the family for some reason, um, because they really are chalk and cheese. I, I mean, I, I mean, Liza is um, is trying trying to be very middle class and, and genteel, and um, and Solly Solly is sort of a bit of a Jewish gangster. Um, that's Eddie Marson, <laughs> and he's fabulous. He is, and I, I have to say, I love Eddie Marson in this role. I really, really, I, I love him in a lot of things. Yeah. But this, it, this one, there, there, there are times when he actually reminds me of some of my relatives, and it, yeah, I love him. <laughs> yeah, there's that wonderful scene where he follows, he follows Vivian because he's sort of concerned about her. She's come to London. Um, and he thinks he better keep an eye on her. So he just sort of struts through the streets and he owns the streets. It's just amazing. Um, and he is so good in that role. You know, this is one of the few um, masterpiece series I've seen that made me homesick. And I don't really know why it did, but just hearing the voices and the slang and all the Yiddish words that that, that have been adopted into Cockney slang, it was just, just amazing. You know what was interesting to me? Because technically this is the East End, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so this is like the same place that, that Call the Midwife is set. Yeah. And I yes. just thought that the whole kind of neighborhood vibe was so different. Despite the fact that it's the same neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. See, I thought this was the dark flip side of Call the Midwife. Because Call the Midwife is all about hope and joy. And f- well, first yeah. there's death. Yeah. This and, season of Call the Midwife has honestly been very grim. I don't know if you've been yeah, watching it. There's yes. like a Holocaust survivor yeah. and like a guy's foot fell off. It's been a journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- this season of Call the Midwife is kind of dark, but it's also like, I don't think I could ever imagine Call the Midwife doing an episode about the National Socialist Movement in this kind mm-hmm. of way. Like, I just don't feel like that's part of their, like, I, I, I don't feel like that would register in that way because they're so not focused on that kind of um, international politics mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that, I, I feel like this is the part of Call the Midwife that they sort of don't get. And, you know, it's funny because you know, I mentioned earlier that Endeavor kind of tries to sort of um, rope in the National Socialist Movement in the later 60s um, as one of its mysteries. And it doesn't, it feels so much more lectury in that one, um, like more didactic. And here it really feels, I don't know, like I... I I I I dislike the word authentic when I'm talking about period pieces because that's not really quite but I feel like they really capture something here a real feeling of what it was like to walk through those streets and see those guys you know standing on makeshift stages and screaming and crowds just sort of randomly like standing around muttering like I really felt like that 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 captured something mm-hmm. Yeah, also, I think Call the Midwife is very, shall we say, cleaned up. I mean, literally. I mean, the streets in Ridley Road are dirty. There's it's, there's it's trash all over brighter. the place. And of course, one thing that, um, that I think really works well in this series is as well as the drama, you have those newsreel shots just interspersed in. 
And yes. they are fantastic. And that reminded me of going to London as a kid and seeing all the people and seeing all the people crammed on, onto buses. And, um, and uh, I think that was such a clever thing to do. So let's, let's talk about Nazis. Yeah. 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 I mean, not really. Yes. Oh, um, my I, gosh. I, I do have to say, so uh, it's Rory Kinnear who they have playing Colin Jordan um, in in this. And we only really get to see him, like, up on the stage mm-hmm. in this episode. We don't really get to, like, see her. Um, did anybody else watch? Pro- probably not, because I, I love this stuff. But there uh, there's a sequel to Penny Dreadful. It's called Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I am aware and, of it. I have um, not actually watched it. It only lasted for a season. I really enjoyed it. But the way that it is connected is that Rory Kinnear is also in that, except he was a doctor in America who was a Nazi. <laughs> so I'm just like, can he, can he just stop being Nazis? <laughs> I think he is absolutely phenomenal. I truly am never going to not look at him and see Black Mirror, though. Um, I I will say that I, I I'm a little sorry we're not talking about this this show a little bit later because we don't get to the point though I think I'm not spoiling anything when I say that you know Vivian basically like tries to seduce him and we're not getting I mean it's it's in the first scene she's in his house in a negligee right which true. I will say I, I I I even though I knew coming into the show like what the basic premise of this was that she was going to infiltrate a neo-Nazi group and and try to stop them or whatever I was really appalled by like the fact that a minute and a half into it like a little kid and two adults are doing a Nazi salute oh, yeah. like, before the opening yes. credits. I was like, okay then. Yes, and also the fact that it was filmed in this humongous um, historic house. And it's like, oh, I thought this was supposed to be in London. In the... and, uh, and, and, you know, Rory Kinnear comes in and he has this lovely smile on his face when he, when he's, when, when he's, when he sees his little boy. And then the three of them do a Nazi salute and it is, it is a real shocker. Yeah, it's very in your face. <laughs> um, I, I have to say, as, um, you know, we, we have a lot of shows nowadays that sort of like bring in this sort of like one real life character around like fictional characters. Um, and I, I really like it, it doesn't always integrate properly. I feel like this is one where it really does get that balance right. Like, even though this is a fictional story and Vivian Epstein didn't exist and um, but the 62 group did and and Colin Jordan did. Um, I, I feel like I feel like this really does capture the the flavor of of a real life story that could have happened. Yes. Well, it's based on true events, but I don't know. Um, I don't exactly know what that means, and I'm going to break. I mean, you. usually it means that there's like a kernel of truth yeah, in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, the, well, well, the fact that you do have a historical figure, Colin Jordan. Um, I mean, I'm no. sure Showtime, God bless him, said the Tudors was based on real events. <laughs> Damn. I love that. I love that show. <laughs> Don't send me hate mail. That show is great. <laughs> Even if Jonathan Reese Myers should have just put the fat suit on and stopped being a baby. I mean, honestly, like I I think even if it is a fictionalized story, because it is, um, having a story that features the 62 group. And has this sort of and really sort of tells this story and puts this story in front of people is really important. You know, I I, 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 never, I had never heard of the 62 group before I started reading about this show. And I assume you also never heard of the 43 group. 
Um, nope. Yeah, well, you know how the 43 group got their name? Um, it, Wait, what is the 43 group? I don't it, know. I've it never was, heard of that It either. was a group of um, Jewish activists in London. Um, and they got together and they couldn't agree on anything. Uh, but there were 43 of them, so they called themselves the 43 group. And apparently that was the only and first thing they agreed on. And then they got things together. Yeah, basically they were the they were the original anti-fascist group that are that sort of formed in the UK out of Jewish uh, activists just after uh, World War Two ended. Um, most of them were like ex-servicemen, and it was sort of like they they sort of felt like it was their job to guard Jews in the UK now that they were home. Um, because they there were still attacks happening to them. I mean, like, you know, the, the Holocaust had happened, you know, London had been bombed to the to hell and back again. And people were still like, you know, beating Jews in the streets, feeling like this was some a scapegoat that they could hit. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what the I, 40- do, I do think sort of culturally, we like to tell ourselves that when that that when World War Two ended, like persecution of jews is over no i mean that's honestly you know that's why israel exists right that there was a level where like europeans were like we feel really bad and we really want you out of our country so we're gonna go give you this land go bye yeah kill two birds with one stone yeah um say god god save us from philo-semites people were still talking about the Jewish problem and everything was being blamed on them and immigrants. And of course, um, this was post Windrush. So there was an even larger black population in London. And one thing this series does, it shows how incredibly racist the police are. Um, And and, uh, the scene where um, Vivian ends up wandering into a Nazi rally in Trafalgar Square and she's rescued by Stevie, who is um, a mixed race young man who is the son of her boss, the hairdresser. And um, and a, a mounted policeman comes up waving a baton and says, leave that girl alone. And doesn't acknowledge that he's in fact looking after her. And Well, she doesn't either. She runs away from him. Right. <laughs> Well, I think Vivian is a little, um, shall we say, naive. Yeah, and it is such a sexist society as well. Um, There's one scene when she when she's walking away from the um, from the fabric shop where she thought she was going to find Jack, and uh, she's walking through a market and somebody says to her, "Oh gosh!" And she got the don't tell. She got the like smile girl or whatever. Oh yeah, uh, I'm glad to see that decades later that's still an acceptable way to still it's still going on. And there is even a scene later on. This is a little spoiler where a policeman wolf whistles at her. Come on. Yes, I mean my yeah. my jaw dropped, but a lot of a lot of the sexist attitude comes from Solly, who doesn't think she should be involved and she shouldn't um, she shouldn't uh, get herself into dangerous situations and she needs to go home and be a good girl, and and uh, he is, I, I mean he is he's a real pain in some ways um there's a scene where um jack is injured in hospital and because vivian's face is not known she goes to try and find him she can't find him in the hospital and um as soon as she comes back 
Solly starts yelling at her that she messed it up. And thank goodness she has other support too from um, from Nancy, who is uh, Solly's uh, long-suffering wife, Tracy Ann Oberman. She is great in this. And, um, and also the rabbi uh, is on her side too. And he's... I mean, he's just very, very sweet, and he, and he thanks her and and appreciates her, which is which is really nice. And I think also Solly thinks things have to be done his way because he's been doing this so long. He's an expert, and he's mu- muttering on about years of training, years of training. Well, um, and you don't need training; you just need nerve. Yeah, and um, and when uh, and when. And when Vivian says says to all of them, you don't have a clue because they don't know what to do next. And it's then that she suggests she go undercover. And she becomes a blonde that very night because she's a hairdresser. She knows how to do it. I mean, I don't know that she could have had a more obviously like dyed blonde hairdo, but like also everyone in the 60s apparently really loves bangs yes loves bangs but... and flips yes bangs and flips mm-hmm. um i also i it, it, though it's not just the dying of the hair the, the dying of the hair is kind of like the highlight of that it's also if you notice she puts on a very bright red lipstick there's a whole makeup makeover kind of thing it's like the opposite of the version of the of the like high school movie where the girl who wears glasses and a ponytail gets like contacts and <laughs> yeah. blowout well she has yeah. to she has to represent Aryan beauty which is blonde and um and red lipstick and all the rest of it and in fact her her boss uh whose name is let me just take a look uh <laughs> Barbara Watson she owns the salon where um where Vivian is working and and that's Tamsin Uthwaite who is virtually unrecognizable as a blonde i was really really surprised but she advised- i actually didn't know who it was yeah. for the whole first episode and then we got to the credits and i was like oh yeah like i had so much oh at like like just in general with this cast like i recognize will keen i recognize samantha spiro because we've seen her in so many other things mm-hmm. right um and i knew that the vivian girl agnes o'casey was a complete newcomer who was basically found for this show mm-hmm. but like there there were definitely like some you know when the credits go by and you go, oh, that's who that is. Yeah. Like uh, Vivian's landlady is Rita Tushingham. And I didn't actually recognize her like at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, apparently Rita Tushingham was in a movie and the name of which, of course, I've completely forgotten. Um, a British movie which had the first love scene between a white woman and a black man. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, that would that would have more impact if I could actually remember what it is. Um <laughs> But, you know, Vivian is taking to its natural extreme what her what her boss says to her. Um, her boss says, well, you know, hairdressers are like alchemists. They can create change. And she also says, you know, um, don't let men take advantage of you. And, um, you know, take them for what they can give you. Uh, but don't let them get into your head. And of course, Vivian has already broken that card and rule without even knowing it, because of course, Jack is in her head. And I think there's, I, I thought there was a definitely sexual tension when she met 
um, Colin Jordan. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yes, absolutely. Um, which is which is in itself a very uncomfortable thing. Yes, and part of the part of the. I mean, honestly, what she's doing is an extremely uncomfortable thing, and. The whole, I mean, it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable in the same way that the the opening scene with the Nazi salute, yeah. um, the riot in Trafalgar Square, which I believe actually did happen. Yes. That there was actually like a neo-Nazi riot in Trafalgar Square. I don't know if that's supposed to be that riot or not. Um, as, as, as said, I don't know quite how much of this is fictionalized and how much of this is real. But I do know that there was supposed to be a riot there. Mm-hmm. That I think I think maybe the year before or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, um. The point is, uh, I I just I I think there's a there's a kind of a romanticism of hairdressers in a way, and in the female in, in female jobs, jobs that are coded female mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we don't get a lot, um, especially um, in in the PBS shows like this. Mm-hmm. It's true because it is the women who sit there and kind of game plan out how to how to talk to him yes mm-hmm. they're like no no flatter and more like flat like more of that more of that and and the men are like whatever that doesn't work <laughs> oh okay yeah that's a that's a nice moment because all three men that's that's the rabbi and solly and solly's son um uh what is his name uh ronnie all suddenly find something to do and turn away uh because they can't they can't actually because it in a way because again it's kind of uncomfortable and knowing that she's doing this planning to do this to someone who they absolutely abhor is just you know it it, but it's what needs to be done in a way it's 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 his weakness is the one thing he doesn't because they don't think of women yeah they think of they they look for male spies they don't look for women spies they certainly don't look for like nice jewish girls to be doing what she does yes I mean, you know, a conservative Jewish, you know, I, I made the point about the lipstick, but, you know, conservative Jewish girls would not wear makeup like that. Right. Like they just wouldn't. And so it's, you know, it, it the, the whole her whole like endealment with wanting to do hair and wanting to do makeup goes against her upbringing as it is. You know, because that's not what you're supposed you're not supposed to make yourself up like that. Mm-hmm. Like on a level on a level of like very is is orthodox the word like very yes. orthodox to very liberal like where would you say her family sits i think they're about in the middle because um i i would put them just to the right of the middle um mm. conserv- okay so uh, nowadays uh, reform is sort of the middle road that you get here in america conservative is more the middle of the road what you get in the uk and i get the sense that this manchester family is a little bit to the right of that they're not orthodox by any means mm-hmm. but they are definitely on the harder core side of conservative they are the kind of people who uh who who, who celebrate for two days instead of one as um as my mother used to say yeah, did you notice also the scene in the in the beauty shop um, where one of the other girls comes up to Vivian and says, oh, we thought you were pregnant. And it's because she's come in late to work, which is a very unusual thing to do. And Vivian, you suddenly realize how young she is, how naive she is. And she, she looks absolutely embarrassed. But she takes down oh, the... Oh, and then they have the conversation about birth control. Yes, yes. Like- right. Yes. But she takes <laughs> down the address of that doctor. And I think she's considering this is something she might have to do. 
and I don't think it's relation to Jack. Um, I think she's seeing that she might have to sleep with Colin Jordan at some point. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that's a, you know, especially for someone who is so innocent and who so very clearly probably is a virgin. The fact that she's thinking about that three steps ahead is something that, like, proves that she's actually much more, you know, able to do this in a way that nobody gives her credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's showing that she can be ruthless. And and it's a very interesting transition because it's it's not just the hairstyle uh, or or the the, um, the dye job and it's not just the lipstick. Something is changing inside her. Yeah, especially because you know a few scenes before a few scenes before she's literally imitating her mother. Oh, I'm not political. Yes, you know, in that same way, mm-hmm. like she's literally parroting the same thing her mother said to Rosa. Yes, and and now suddenly, nope, she is political. Like she is, she and she's and she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for for the panel. Um, how do we feel about Vivian and Jack? Like, do you think, are we, are we meant to really believe in this relationship? Are we meant to rule for this relationship? Are we meant to sort of see it as a path for Vivian's empowerment sort of, or what? Um, I think I'm supposed, I think we're supposed to ship them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I have the wrong reaction when I say to myself, oh girl, no, 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 Mary Jane. <laughs> um, you know, in the same way that one looks back on um, on on uh, on on that uh, Winona Ryder movie and tells them, you know, no, 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 don't marry Ethan Hawke. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I have to say that I I see it more as a path to empowerment, partly because I don't buy the relationship as a romance. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't know each other very well. I mean, that's clear. But well, and what she does know is a lie. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty crappy. And, and like he's saying all these lovely words to her on the train, but they're just words, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe I'm supposed to buy that, but actions, buddy. Mm-hmm. But also, like I don't even know if Jack or Peter is his real name. Might be Carl. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, she definitely is not paranoid enough about him, is she? Yeah. Well. You know when they when they meet up on the train and he he gives her this big speech of like a man's got to do what a man's got to do you know like he's and he was trying yes. to drive her away and, for her own safety and she is just <laughs> furious with him and she smacks him around a bit and uh, I did like that part and the, uh, and then they kiss each other I mean there's a tremendously strong physical attraction there but uh, you know they don't know each other and. And uh, he, and she seems to be tremendously involved with him, more so obviously than he is with her. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he's nice looking and all, but I, I mean, really, um, you know, I really think, um, oh well, it would have been marrying a cousin, but I thought, um, I thought Ronnie Malinovsky was so adorable. Uh, he's like a younger version. What, she should run away from Jeremy and marry Ronnie instead? <laughs> he's at least slightly more modern. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I would agree. And yes, he is definitely the cute one of, oh, yeah. of, of the nice Jewish boys that yes. they parade in front of us. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I have to say, even though 
even though I know I'm supposed to root for Jack and Vivian, I think four episodes may not be enough to ever get me there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that, I mean, like Lacey, I, I appreciate a show that does it four episodes, damn it, mm-hmm. um, instead of eight, you know, because we have had quite a few of those. Really. Oh, gosh. Um, but I, 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 I still think in, in this case, four might not quite be enough either. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I have to wait. Uh, we have to wait and see how, how the other three play well, out. Well, the pacing is so tight and so much mm-hmm. is going on. Yeah, especially in that first episode. Yes. Like, I feel like, I feel like she got very wise very quickly. Yeah. In a way that almost wouldn't be believable. But then there's no time because we're on to episode two. Mm-hmm. I will agree with that, though. I do think I do think it is a bit tonal whiplash to go from how innocent she is in the beginning of the episode to how well in the beginning of her story, not the beginning of the episode, because she's Nazi saluting in the beginning of the episode. But, you know, how innocent she goes from when she's in Manchester to how, you know, she's basically a spy now Mm -hmm. by the end of the first episode. That's a big jump. I don't I don't know that. I don't know that if I were in the mood to nitpick it that I couldn't really nitpick it pretty well. But like I, the story is very propulsive, so mm-hmm. it feels less necessary. Yeah, it definitely has a bit of that line of duty propulsion to mm-hmm. it, which makes up for a lot. The fact that it is only four episodes and the fact that we are going fast. You know, I, I think I think if it didn't have that drive to it, it would feel less you you would stop and you'd question more, mm-hmm. but because because it really sort of has that like, you know, you almost want to press play on the next. Oh wait, no, it's not till next week, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really sort of. I I think that makes. A, I think that 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 covers a lot of sins right there. Yeah, and also Vivian, um, uh, Agnes or Casey rather, who plays Vivian Epstein, is absolutely compelling. Oh yes, yeah. absolutely. I think she's a real find. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait to see what other things she does. Yeah. I get real um, Anya Taylor Joy vibes from her. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? I don't know if it's just the hair, but <laughs> the hair helps. I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. But yes, she definitely has that sort of big eyed, like, like Queen's, steel. Get Queen's Gambit. Kind yeah, of. the the steel, the, the the innocent outside, steel inside. That 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 Anya Taylor Joy does really really well. Yeah, it's sort of like the I'm counting on you to underestimate me mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, everybody should see The Northman because it's fun. Oh. <laughs> that was really random. Thank you. Well, no, she's in that. I don't, haven't you seen that? Um, or have you seen the trailers for that? It's so it's it, 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 it's a lot of fun. All I know is it's Alexander Skarsgård in what I assume is his origin story for True Blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what? But getting back to 1962 London. Um, I oh, yes. really loved Rita Tushingham's character, Nettie, and those meetings that she would go to where that nasty man, I don't know what he actually was. I mean, was he actually um, a local political leader or he was possibly somebody who was taking that role and he was part of the neo-Nazis? Um, just feeding on everyone's fears. I mean, Nettie um, lost, I think, three sons in World War Two. Yeah, I believe that's what she says. And her house is has been condemned. She's going to have to move out. 
and she's going to have to move in a high into a high rise apartment and she's scared about that and this mr burns is feeding on everyone's fear and paranoia you know that uh, he's saying that um tesco's is um it belongs to one of the four Jewish families who owns everything, and they're taking over the corner shops. Yes, the 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 the, the, the Tesco speech is quite something. Um, I I you know that it, though that is true about the the people having to move out of the East End mm-hmm. and those condemned houses and being sort of mass forced into those gigantic blocks of flats. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, some of which collapsed, yeah, because they were built so poorly. Like moving into those was a real people were really scared of them because they sort of got a sense they weren't well built, and they weren't right. Yes, and they and people became isolated, and the and the elevators didn't work. And also, the thing I loved about those meetings too was that everybody brought cakes. So you have this this nasty man just feeding vileness in people's ears and behind him there's this table full of cakes lovely touch <laughs> um i do feel like this is a really interesting like show choice for masterpiece mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it feels really uh, i appreciate this one yeah i do too like i feel it feels sort of off-brand in the way that like atlantic crossing was off-brand mm, but yeah like i'm interested like it's interesting mm-hmm and and I and honestly, like if, if I'm being given a choice of the same old, same old from Masterpiece or something like this and something like Atlantic Crossing, they should do more of these. Yep, absolutely. I prefer to go for the more experimental. Like, let's do more of this and less Baptiste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after watching this first episode, it, it is going to stay with you and it's going to give you chills. I mean, it is scary stuff. And I do like that they're very unflinching about it yes, too. Yes. Like, I mean, I, we talked about the the Nazi salutes and stuff yeah. in in the first like two minutes, mm-hmm. but but just the way that they're, I I don't know the phrase for what I assume is death to all the Jews, but the way they just throw that around, yes. like, ooh. yeah, yeah. The 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 phrase was free Britain from Jewish control. Yeah, to to be specific, um, but yes, that that was that was definitely. They they are they I mean just and, and even the small things like you know I I, I know I complained when we talked about uh, the call the midwife episode how you know the horrors of the Holocaust kind of got thrown in your face and there was sort of the speech you know I thought the Rosa scene where she's sort of freaking out because like uh like something is tapping upstairs yes. <laughs> like some other, one of the machinery some machinery is tapping upstairs and she's there's people breaking into the house I thought that was far more effective as a how a holocaust survivor behaves than the than the call the midwife type speech of you know speeches mm-hmm. um and that's the kind of thing that i think also sort of adds to the depth of creepiness mm-hmm. because a lot of it isn't stated and yet you know exactly why she's terrified yeah she also makes this wonderful comment when they're plotting for for vivian to go to london she says um if you learn one thing from me learn what the you know which train to catch the right time to leave oh learn when to leave i was yes. like oof. yeah yes because yeah. you can like interpret that in so many ways yes. from extremely dark to only mostly dark yeah <laughs> well i i i think it's a great series um i, don't, I only watched the first episode because i'm notoriously bad at at not 
compartmentalizing things enough to talk about them if I watch more than one. Mm-hmm. But I am actually going to watch the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm interested. I reached for the second episode the moment the first one was done and was like, wait, wait, we're only talking about episode one in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I now I'm like, oh, should we have waited till it was over to talk about it? But maybe we'll get more people to tune into it if if we we talk about it at the the top of the hour. As they say, but uh, and you know, all four for for PBS passport members, you can actually press play on the next one because all four are available. Oh, huzzah! This is one of those ones that landed as a binge, as opposed to Sanditon and uh, Call the Midwife, which were weeklies on yeah. Passport. Oh, that's that's good. Um. Okay. Oh my gosh, we've been talking about this for a long time, so I think that is uh, Ridley Road, Janet. Thank you for coming on and playing with us, and and um being flexible in the wake of our technical difficulties well thank week. you for inviting me and uh, uh <laughs> it's been fun i mean sort of uh <laughs> i know i always feel but like we we keep having you on to talk about like nazi shows oh. and we're like this is so much fun like we don't actually mean the nazi part just to like be clear to everyone mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> anyway uh moving you on from this awkward Annie moment Annie, you tell the people where they can find Twitter? you on the interweb still even though it's might be sold. Um, you can find me at uh, Annie Bundle on Instagram. That's where you find pretty pictures of my fluffy cats. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. Uh, I am a staff writer at Elite Daily and the associate editor here at Televisions, and I also freelance around the web. Um, and I will be writing a lot about the next Marvel movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So you'll see a lot of me tweeting about that. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, if you basically want to know what I've been writing about this week, just follow me on Twitter because that's where I retweet all of my bylines. Thank you. Uh, huzzah. Uh, I am Lacey MB on Twitter. And that is how I spell it. It's L-A-C-Y-M-B. I can do this. Uh, <laughs> I just realized that I that I didn't ask Janet to tell us where she is on that. Oh, well, you know, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's Janet underscore Mullaney, and that is a punctuation thing, not a double barreled name. Um, I'm also uh-huh. I'm also on Facebook as Janet Mullaney. Frankly, I'm not doing very much at all, but I do like seeing pictures of cats and um, pictures of pigs and sheep in Yorkshire. And um, I mean, springtime, tis the yeah. Season. So so I. I enjoy it, but I I really am incredibly lazy about social media. So well, honestly, that's probably the smart move. Um, sorry, I like my husband walked in the middle of recording this this outro here, and I'm just like so off my game right now. Cannot wait to move and get an office that I don't have to worry about this with. Anyway, let me try myself again. I am Lacey MB on Twitter because you will pry my account from my cold dead hands. And like Annie, I write a lot. Uh, here at televisions and around the entertainment web i too i am sure will have thoughts about uh the next marvel movie but only as concerns wanda maximoff because she is all that matters uh the site and the pod can be found online at many places now we are televisions blog all one word on facebook Tele underscore visions on twitter you can listen to our podcast on youtube at weta pbs and we have a shiny new newsletter that uh, you should all subscribe to if you have not yet, because it will keep you up to date on the site, the pod, photos of our cats. Janet has promised to send us pictures of her cats for the next issue. And you can join up for that at televisions.org slash subscribe. We are a product of WETA. And if you like what we do, visit televisions.org and click on that donate button up top to help us keep making 
all of this content for your ears and eyeballs. Uh, if you do that fanciness, you can get access to the aforementioned PBS Passport, which truly like a remarkable number of things are coming to early this summer or already available right now. Uh, you can watch the rest of Riz Ridley Road. Uh, Nicola Walker's new show, Annika, is on it well before it comes to air later this year. There's lots of options. Check it out. And that is our show for this week. I'm really curious to find out what Greg wanted when he came in here. So I'm going to go and do that. Uh, happy, slightly nice. I don't even know. I was going to say slightly nice weather, but it's been really cold here for the past two weeks. And I'm over it. So over it. Yeah. Isn't it Mother's Day this weekend? I think it is. I don't know. It's like May now. When did that happen? I don't Time is a flat circle or endless string, depending on your perspective. But uh, as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Be kind to each other. We are all we got. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>